and to follow along that way. I want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word, and we pray that as you uh, use your word in our lives, as you speak to us the truth from your word, that you would find us to be more ready and more willing, and yes, Lord, more enabled to be the kinds of people that would make Jesus smile. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm a bit of a Tom Hanks fan. I've uh, seen, I think, every film he's done, back from the over eight, way old ones up to the most recent ones, and I think you probably know that Tom Hanks was one of the first of those kind of celebrity people to be diagnosed with COVID-19. He was uh, isolated for a couple of weeks along with his wife, and he has recovered, and since he recovered, he has been donating his plasma so the scientists can study it and try to determine how best to go at the COVID-19. So I appreciate that about him. I appreciate him as an actor. One of my favorite films that he was in was the film called Castaway. He played a, an executive for FedEx and was, uh, their airplane went down in the ocean. He was shipwrecked, excuse me, he was a, a, a castaway on an island as the name of the film implies. And one of his great accomplishments while he was a castaway in the very early days was making fire. And I can still remember vividly that scene from the movie where he's so excited that he's made fire. And of course, you know, right, for a fire, you need the right conditions. You have to have fuel, you have to have air, and you have to have heat in the right proportions in order for something to burn. You need the right combination for kind of optimum success. Well, the same thing is true in our experience together in the body of Christ. We need the right combination, the right environment, so that the spiritual blessings that God has in store for us in Christ can come together in the kind of fullness that God has designed for us. So we're going to see that unfold in today's passage. Again, the second letter of John, very small letter. We're going to split it up, if you will, into three pieces this week and the next couple of weeks. Uh, it won't take quite the 18 months that our tour through the Gospel of Mark took. It'll just be a couple, three weeks. But nonetheless, this small letter, uh, this second letter of John has a lot to say to us, I think. And so in particular, today, God's blessings are experienced in their fullness when you and I, when we live together in truth and in love. So again, Second John, um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 12 and 13. And again, follow along in your own Bibles or follow along in the Bible that's on the webpage in front of you. The old apostle John. The elder, he says, to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, God grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will, will be with us in truth and love. Skipping down to verse 12. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. I can resonate with that face-to-face uh, -face thing, right? And I'm sure you can too. We've been isolated, separated during the course of this pandemic, and we're just now beginning to dip our toes into the water of being back together again. But nonetheless, what do we see from this passage? We see the right combination of spiritual elements. The first of those elements is the truth. John talks about it in verses 1 and 2 and 3. Now, this old 
Apostle Dude, John, was initially concerned that you and I, we embrace a right understanding about Jesus because truth is a person. Can you remember from the Gospel of John? Uh, John records Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came in the flesh, fully God, fully man, to solve the sin problem for us. You and I, we could never solve that problem on our own. But as a writer of scripture, John would want us to ensure that we embrace the entire message of the Bible, focused on this person and work of Jesus. I don't know what your favorite kind of test was in high, in high school. I don't even know if that's a really legitimate question. Does anybody have a favorite kind of test? But there they were, right? The multiple choice tests, the true-false tests, the essay tests, um, the take-home exam and Listen, if you're still in school anywhere at any time doing anything, if they offer you a take-home exam, say no. The multiple choice tests exam questions were easier, right? You have some options to pick from. Essays were good if you can spread the bovine manure around a bit. True, false, only two choices, right? The answer was either right or it wasn't. And our culture likes to think on this issue of eternity and eternal issues that it's a multiple choice test, that there are many, many options out there that are equally valid in terms of who and how we worship. But they're not. Jesus is true. Those other religious offerings out there are false. And John wants to make sure we understand and that we embrace this idea of the truth. One of the things that our multiplicity of worldviews has given to us is this thing that ethicists call moral relativism, which is what's true for you may not be true for me, and what's true for Pastor Laura may not be true for you, and all those kinds of multiple choice options. I had just moved to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in the summer of 2001, and on 9-11, I watched in real time those towers in New York City fall to the ground after they had been hit by airplanes, human-guided bombs, if you will. But I think an interesting thing happened there that day. Not only did those towers fall down, but in my view, moral relativism fell, relativism fell down too. Those towers falling to the ground, wrong, just plain wrong. Not true for somebody else and false for somebody else, just plain wrong. And to know that there is a wrong, we have to have a right. And for us, we understand from the scriptures that that right, that truth, is Jesus. But truth is not just a catalog of facts. Truth, uh, in the words of the former Presbyterian, deceased uh, Presbyterian pastor, uh, D. James Kennedy, tr uh, in his words, it's truth, this Bible truth, is truth that transforms. Verse 2 says this truth lives in us. Verse 2 says that this truth will characterize eternity. This truth lives in us to change us. The writer of Hebrews calls the Bible, the, the, the truth, living and active. Living and active. I love that. Living and active. You and I, as believers in Jesus, we are called to embrace absolute truth that is alive and that is active. Truth over the past couple of weeks, we've been confronted with some pretty painful and ugly truths. But here's some truth. God created all humanity with its wondrous variety in his image. 
Here's a truth. George Floyd was not an unflawed person. He wasn't the epitome of personal character. He had struggles, even criminal struggles in his life. But here's a truth. George Floyd was an image bearer of God. And here's a truth. Killing God's image bearers of any color is egregious sin. Here's a truth. The killing of George Floyd was monstrous. Here's a truth. Black Americans are overwhelmingly at risk in our culture. I had a friend in the Air Force. His first name was Lou. We were stationed together in Colorado Springs at NORAD headquarters, North American Aerospace Defense Command headquarters. Uh, Lou was an African-American. He had a Corvette. He loved that car. It was a pretty spiffy Corvette, bright red Corvette. He would come into work on a regular basis and said, yeah, it happened again. What happened, Lou? The cops stopped me. Why did they stop you? I don't know. I was obeying the speed limit. The only thing I can think of is they stopped me because I was driving while black. He had on his military uniform. He was a major at the time. It didn't matter. Each and every, well, not every day, but pretty darn regularly, he got stopped. How does that happen? If us as believers in Jesus understand and embrace the truth and speak it in a living and active way. Here's a truth. Peaceful protests are an American right. Here's a truth. Turning those protests into excuses for violence is despicable. Here's a truth. If you and I aren't part of the solution, we are indeed part of the problem. But here's the thing. Knowing that there's truth and knowing that you and I are responsible for acting on that truth has to be coupled with the other thing that John emphasizes in this little letter. Truth has to be accompanied by and coupled with love. Verses 1 and 3 John talks about this connection, this vital, inherent connection for believers of truth and love. Back in the day, there was a guy on the radio. You remember the radio, right? Now, back in the day, there was a guy on the radio named Paul Harvey, and he was famous for telling a little bit of an introductory part of a story, and then later on telling us the rest of the story. He had a radio broadcast one time where he talked about... Um, uh, a guy, a, a dad, who had uh, broken his daughter's teacher's nose because uh, the teacher had the audacity to give his daughter a D in behavior. Here's the rest of the story. The guy that broke the teacher's nose was the pastor of the Tabernacle of Love Church. Right? That's not love. That's not Bible love. That's not what we call agape love from the original language of the New Testament. That's not acting in other people's best interests. And so John says these two things, truth and love, they have to work together in partnership. He emphasizes both, neither at the expense of the other, both in partnership together. Back in the day, I think I've shared with you before that I flirted briefly with going into the Army uh, through Army Reserve Officer Training Corps. Uh, after one summer camp, I decided not to because, you know, those guys and gals, they walked everywhere and I prefer to take the bus or a plane. But anyway, about the time I was toying with this idea, the Army was experimenting with a new recruiting slogan. And the one that came out was Army of One. Now, of course, they were emphasizing individual proficiency and all that stuff, but no army is an army of one. One of the times I was out on a bivouac with that army ROTC experience, my uh, partner, um, Bobby, uh, he and I, we carried together individually in our backpacks. We each had what was called a shelter half. 
right? You get the point, right? It took two of them put together to be the complete shelter. No army of one, no shelter half of one, but the shelter together. And that's what John is trying to get us to see here, that truth and love must work together in a biblical partnership in your life and in my life. Love without truth is just sentimentality. Truth without love is just self-righteousness. And we don't need a balance between the two of them. That's wrong in my view. What we need is radical and simultaneous emphasis on both absolute truth tellers, absolute lovers of people working together at the same time. And John points out for us in this short letter in verse three that when those two things come together, it results in what I'm gonna call optimizing the spiritual blessings. See, God can and he does bestows spiritual blessings when things aren't right. But the optimum experience of those blessings from God comes when truth and love are together in partnership. Now, I am a firm believer and speaker of the grace of God, right? We know what that is. Grace is kind of a general term for the unmerited, that is, we don't deserve it, favor of God. For example, getting forgiveness from our sin when we don't deserve it grace. It's not true that I get all of my theology from cartoons, but I might get a little bit of it from cartoons. I love the cartoon family circus. You can still see it online. If you happen to get an actual print, no kidding, newspaper, you can probably see it there too. But uh, in this um, family circus cartoon written by a guy named Bill Keen one time, there was this great um, sequence of cartoons where the dad of the family is a little frustrated by one of the kids. And so he says to the kid, go to your room. And that didn't sink in enough. And so dad says to the kid, go to your room until you grow a beard. Now I have to confess as a former parent and step parent of teenagers, there were times when that's what I wanted to say too. And right. And we remember the story though, of the prodigal son in the gospel of Luke, the son Indeed, not only does he go to his room, he makes a room of his own. He makes it a room in, in a, a pig's sty where the pigs were eating better than he was. The father, though, sees the son after the son has a turn of heart and mind and sees the son coming to him. And the dad has those rooms and he invites the son in, not as a servant or a slave, but as a recipient of grace. God says when we are bad, not go to your room, but come to my room. And I love that. And mercy is the term that I use, the Bible uses, to describe the active search of God for those in need of that and God's response to that need. Tangible expressions of care and compassion. This is truth and love in action. Tangible expressions of care and compassion. Not just, oh, I'm sorry about that. Sorry to hear about that. You know, go, I wish you well. No, none of that stuff, but actively stepping up. So what then can come in conjunction with that? A thing called peace, the Bible talks about. Spiritual wholeness and well-being. And Bible peace is not just the absence of conflict. Bible peace is, uh, the, the Hebrew word is shalom. And that word means everything is in its right place and put together properly. That's the kind of peace God has in mind. So if we ask ourselves the question about this truth and love stuff and acting it out, what's the context? Where do those things happen? 
What is the venue for the realization of complete joy? Well, John here says the venue for the realization of complete joy is the fellowship. It's the gathered company of believers in Jesus. And he talks about it a couple of different ways. He talks about the wider fellowship. All those people on the planet, I don't care what their denominational label happens to be, but those people who genuinely believe in Jesus. In verse 1, John here calls them all who know the truth. Jesus, the truth. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody, in fact, in verse 13, uh, John talks about these people as the children of your chosen sister. What he's saying is there are other people in other churches who believe in Jesus. Those two also share fellowship with us. Do you see it? This truth with love, it transcends our particularities in our place, in our moment. So there's this general venue of the church itself. But there's also this venue that I'm going to call close personal fellowship. Look down in verse 12. John knows the significant value of personal connection. In the translation to Pastor Laura read to you, it's called, that I read to you, I'm sorry, a moment ago, it's called, he, John says, I long to see you face to face. Literally, in the original language of the New Testament, that is mouth to mouth, right? It's a reflection on the kind of greetings that people gave to each other in the ancient world with a kiss on both cheeks. Don't try that with me. Just thought I'd mention that. But it's his desire. It's this picture of intimacy that's related to the walk that we have in truth and in love in Christ, in partnership with other believers. And when that happens, when that happens the way God has designed it to happen, when the fellowship is what it's supposed to be, you and I, we can impact the city, the county, the state, the country, and the world for Jesus, right? This, this, this idea that you and I can have truth and love and live truth and love is a powerful, overwhelming, golden thread woven throughout the entirety of the scriptures and in particular throughout the entirety of the New Testament. I don't know if you've had to be certified in CPR. It's a cardiopulmonary resuscitation. It's changed along the way. When I first was certified, there was uh, the breathing, you tried to breathe for a person, and you gave uh, chest compressions at the same, uh, uh, you know, in alternation, or if you had a partner, you were kind of doing it at the same time. Now I think they've changed it to folks are mostly just uh, doing compressions. Um, CPR is mostly compressions. And what it's a picture of is breathing life into other people who desperately need to have life breathed into them. So what's all this got to do in the year 2020 with our current set of circumstances and the things that we're seeing playing out in front of us, uh, either in live, either live or through the media? Here's what I think it means. I think it means that the local church is supposed to be the place where we find the context of fellowship to live out truth and love in its fullness. If you will, I think, the local church is supposed to be our learning laboratory. This is where we can try to get it, well, not right, we'll never get it completely right, but we can try to get it better. What is the local church? Part of what the local church is, is this, this lab, this place, this, this place where we get to practice living in truth and living in love and weaving those things together. 
John says that doesn't happen by accident. It happens when you and I purpose to do that. And if we have done well in the laboratory, we can do better out there in the world. We can be agents of truth and love. I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning, I wonder if we were looking each other in the eye and being completely frank with each other, if we would be able to say, yep, that's who I am. I live truth. I live love. I live them in partnership with each other. Or maybe, like me, you're at the place where, you know what? I see it, Lord. I see it. Help me to be the person who lives a life of truth and love in exquisite, impactful, uh, energetic partnership with each other. Pray with me. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity to hear from this old Apostle John about this necessity of being agents of truth and love, truth and love in partnership with each other, that we might impact each other deeply and impact the world for Jesus in ways it has never yet seen. We pray in that name, the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen.